This is a Podcast 225 production. Welcome to the Clay Young Show. So, how are you today? Hopefully you're having a good one wherever you are and enjoying this South Louisiana weather, particularly the heat. But that's okay. I find that people complain when it's cold. They complain when it's hot. It just is what it is. We got a good one for you today. Adam Knapp, who is the CEO of the Baton Rouge Area Chamber, he is our guest, and we're going to talk about everything from what chambers do to where the Baton Rouge region is headed to why is there a Baton Rouge region. We're going to talk about public transit, public education, talk a little bit about the a healthcare situation in Baton Rouge and the need for an ER in North Baton Rouge. And you'll get a chance to hear his philosophy on a number of things. We, we couldn't cover everything in the discussion, but I think you will enjoy what you will learn about the way Adam thinks, how he got to where he is and where he believes we're headed. He was pretty candid and I enjoyed the conversation. Uh, As always, we tell you as you listen to the show, if you're new to the show, you can hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and you'll get the show in your inbox every time there is a new one. Uh, You can also download, excuse me, the Talk 107.3 mobile app and hear the show there for free. You can get it at the website at podcast225.com. And of course, you can just go to iTunes there and download the show. While you're there, leave us a comment. Tell us what you think of the show. And you can email me as well directly at podcast225.com. That would be clay at podcast225.com. If you'd like me to have a certain guest on the show, let me know whom you'd like to hear, and we'll work on that for you, get somebody on here. I'm trying to get uh, some shows lined out ahead of football season, because football season is going to be here before you know it. Speaking of sports, as we sit and do this open, it is after LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers won the NBA championship for the city of Cleveland. Now, it's interesting because it's first time, as all of you have heard by now, since 1964 that the city of Cleveland has won a championship. Make no mistake about it. I'm not really a Cleveland Cavaliers fan because I'm not really a fan of any team in the NBA. I actually don't watch the NBA during the regular season very much. I only start watching it during the playoff season because my sons are so into it. But I wanted to see LeBron James win because I have not seen an athlete so criticized by so many people. And his criticisms are about things like he doesn't win the championship every year or he left Cleveland to go to Miami And he left Miami to come back to Cleveland. And it's just everything about this kid is just nitpicked to death. And so I wanted to see him win just so he would have a moment where some people would shut up. Now, that shut up period didn't last very long. But congratulations to him for this storybook ending to a season. And he's pretty much playing with house money the rest of his career. Much of the way Drew Brees is playing with house money here because he helped and was a major reason why the Saints can no longer be called a dumpster dweller because they won a Super Bowl. And I just think in society now, it seems so apparent that people are more willing to criticize you than compliment you. And it's 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 just a shame. And it's this new social media atmosphere that we live in where people who would otherwise not have any relevance go to social media and they make themselves relevant with hate speech. And life is crazy enough as it is to not have to deal with people whose only contribution is negativity. That's all I'm saying. But I'll keep it positive from here and tell you Adam Knapp with the Baton Rouge Area Chamber again is our guest here on the Clay Young Show. And he 
is next. Promote your business or organization on Podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. Posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Welcome back to The Clay Young Show. Back with Adam Knapp, who is the CEO of the Baton Rouge Area Chamber, which is a super regional organization. It's not like the average chamber in many cities. And I want to jump a few steps forward and then we'll come we'll come backwards. Let's explain the concept of this super region that you guys have created in order to attract businesses here. Yeah, that's, that's a great question, Clay. And thank you for having me on. You got uh, it. The organization, we, we actually blew it up. I mean, if you think about a house renovation. We took this organization down to the studs mm-hmm. and rebuilt it back in 2004 and 2005. And and what we realized is it's it's tradition of really being thought of as the, the Chamber of Commerce just in one parish, worried only around Baton Rouge, right. putting that in air quotes. And, and really around the country, regions had been the way that folks organized. There mm-hmm. was many counties uh, in, other, in other states coming together trying to solve big, difficult problems for the economy. And that's how we reorganized back in 2006 was right. to make ourselves truly a regional organization, being the honest broker for economic development for the entire, what is our capital region is a nine-parish area. And then in the last, I'd say, five to six years, very actively building a new and larger relationship in that partnership okay. where we are working with a super regional effort of New Orleans, Metro New Orleans, right. and Metro Baton Rouge. And there is not a, that's not our organizational structure, but it's a realization that the entity that's our analog in New Orleans, Greater New Orleans, Inc., mm-hmm. is moving to try to do very similar things, and we have a lot of overlapping benefit if we can succeed in that effort. Let me, let me give you two examples. One is um, international economic development is going to think of us as New Orleans regardless. That's right. Uh, they have very, very rarely heard of Louisiana, much right. less Baton, Baton Rouge. Baton Rouge, right. The identity is New Orleans internationally. And so we want to leverage that together with our brand, our efforts, so that if a company internationally is choosing to make an investment in southeast Louisiana, all of us benefit. And so we've right. been pushing out in a lot of our international efforts to go together and build a a story of, of the Baton Rouge region and New Orleans region as mm-hmm. one super region. And that has worked really well. We've been uh, This year, we've gone on two different efforts internationally. We've done that in partnership with them. We did it last year uh, with Greater New Orleans, Inc., and we're seeing that start to build a, a story for us as a region. If you think about us, we have 2 million people in a population area of these two areas combined. Right, right. That is just barely scratching the surface right. in competition with Houston. Right. If you drive from the end <laughs> right. to end in Houston, if you go from uh, kind of the woodlands down to, was it Clear Lake down? Yeah, to, that's right. You, you will have driven the distance yeah. from new roads to Plaquemine. I mean, to, you know, it's unbelievable. Parish. And, and you, you're so right because the sheer size of Houston as a city is over half the size of Louisiana as a state. Yeah, yeah. And that's and, our competition. Yeah. We've got to realize yeah. that, you know, we have to unify our efforts collectively. Yeah. So while our organizations are, we're, we're a nine parish area organization, we want to do everything we can to build a collaborative relationship as a super region as well. So and, and now we can jump backwards a little bit. How did you end up with the chamber and your predecessor, Stephen Moray, most of us here know the story. He went to work for then-Governor Jindal, yep. and you became the CEO. But how'd you get to the chamber before this process even happened? Sure, yeah. So I was working. I had come from the private sector working for a company called Anderson Consulting that mm-hmm. became Accenture. Uh, I moved back to Louisiana in 2002, early 2002. Are you originally from here? I'm from Lake Charles, Lake Louisiana Charles. originally, okay. but had gone away to college after high school, mm-hmm. went to uh, Barb High School for those Lake mm-hmm. Charlesans out there. Mm-hmm. Go Bucks! <laughs> and uh, the, uh, so I moved back in 2002 to work in the governor's office under Mike Foster right. and be- began this effort to work in, in economic development then. I had no idea, f- frankly, as a 26 or 27-year-old at the time, 
what what the practice of economic development was. So it was coming in more from the experience as a uh, a technology consultant that I'd been doing work for uh, uh, Accenture at the time. Uh, been coming from that world into the governor's office to try to work on strategies to drive innovation in Louisiana's economy. There was a lot of focus uh, on how policies should be sh sort of shaping and diversifying the state's economy. Uh, and so from that point forward, had been working in various ways. Immediately prior to coming to the Baton Rouge area chamber, I had been working uh, at the Louisiana Recovery Authority, uh, had, had left LED, uh, Louisiana Economic Development, uh, where I'd been uh, working as the policy director when Katrina hit. Mm -hmm. And then a number of us became part of setting up this kind of startup government agency at the time that was uh, pulling on other agencies to build a response effort and long-range planning effort post-Katrina. Right. Um, when Stephen Moray left, I turned to my wife one day and said, you know, maybe I should apply for this job as the CEO of the Baton Rouge Area Chamber, my wife said adamantly, absolutely not. You are, <laughs> cannot apply for that job. I have always envisioned that when you left work for the Recovery Authority, your time spent away from family and yeah. engulfed in work would go down a little bit, you know, working, you know, 14 and 16 hour days, many days. And so she was like, you know, I really don't see that as a great course. So for about a month, you know, we, we just parked that conversation. And then one day she, she woke up and said, you know, I've thought about it. It's like for a month uh, <laughs> and, and think you maybe you should apply. And so I, I put my name in that week and, and, and here I am. And, right. and it really the, the, the great thing about the Baton Rouge area chamber and the board that that made me want to work here. It still makes me want to work here every day is it is an organization that wants to take risk, that right. wants to lead, doesn't want to be um, your grandfather's chamber of commerce, right. wants to be a, a force for change to drive economic growth for the community. It's interesting because Baton Rouge has evolved, I would think, technologically, economically, from a diversity standpoint, infrastructural standpoint, more maybe in the past 15 to 16 years. I mean, starting right at the, at the millennium to where we are, this is almost an entirely different city. The mindset about Baton Rouge and New Orleans is different than it was 15 years ago, where there was this big brother, little brother competition that still exists in a miniature way. It isn't as large now because, as you talked about, the areas are working together. Uh, infrastructure wise, we still have a distance to go, but we've covered a lot of distance with some of the work on roads and things that we've done here. Uh, we've put more focus on what we will do with the universities and how we can use them and specifically LSU in this regard to draw industry and technology, you know, innovators to the area. And the sheer thinking of this town about what we do in the evenings, the term quality of life was not one that was <laughs> talked about a whole lot here in right, Baton Rouge, right. but there's been great focus studying best practices on these canvas trips that you guys do. So being open to consider change and consider uh, some form of cultural evolution here is something that I think has been refreshing. Having said all of that, there is still a lot of work to be done. So describe to us what that major work is. Yeah, that's a great, great leading off point. So um, let, me, let me encapsulate the last decade in a, in a second here. Okay, sure, <laughs> so sure. economically, Baton Rouge has come from uh, being uncompetitive and not really being in the mix of business investment discussions nationally mm -hmm. to where we are having our strongest years the last two years, right. back to back 2014 and 2015 in economic growth and job growth as a parish that we have seen um, in decades. And that is exciting to see this progression of change. And a lot of that has to do from uh, just just the normal blocking and tackling that should have always been happening that right. is now happening of how to how to represent on project engagements, how to go in and, and be aggressive in looking for projects, having staff involved in those discussions, having great parish partners that, that are doing this work at the parish level and right. city level around the nine parishes. All of that has changed. What we did last year was we took took a step back as a business community and, and as an organization. And we, we asked the question, we've come a good ways since those early days of 2005, 2006, right. when we were turning this ship around. Where are we now and where do we want to be by the year 2020, the kind of five years from now, sure. looking ahead to, to what hasn't yet happened? And to your point, I think the, the overarching sense of business leaders is both 
excitement and positivity about where the economy is, but sheer frustration about uh, education improvement, transportation infrastructure, uh, quality of life yeah. not having come far enough. Right. And a recognition that, you know, we pulled a lot of data on this last year, a recognition that that if we want to see sustainable long-term economic growth, those things that have not yet been accomplished must absolutely get accomplished in this next five years. What are those things? Transportation infrastructure uh, as a factor of quality of life and competitiveness has got to be addressed for let's, this reason. Let's, I, I, okay, go through all As of them. And then, and then let's drill down. So transportation, and I agree with you uh, that it is a major deal. But I also think, Adam, that the, the, the perception of what it is here, and I don't, I, I don't want to use a derogation, but I, I, I don't think people consider transit and transportation here in the way of a Houston or even a New Orleans because of the concept of we don't need a bus system where in major cities in this country that wouldn't be said because the transit system is often such a main tool in the economy of an area so let's start with that one right right what's broken and what's working and how do you make it more Working than not working, yeah. if that's so, a fair question. So take, taking a step back, what we've, what we've observed is, and we've, we try to first take responsibility on ourselves, right, right. In, in our own daily lives, right? So the recognition we had is the business community has not done its job to build consensus about a set of solutions that would solve the traffic. How crisis. do they do that, though? So the recognition we had a few years ago is that this has been many parishes that each want to see a, a single or multiple set of options on the table that in, in each parish's mind lead to a solution that, okay. that helps. But those parishes have rarely come together to get to consensus right. on that. And so our, our recognition was that well, the business community in those parishes have just the same obligation as the public sector leaders oh, sure. that we expect. And yet we have not done that job to bring our parishes together, the business leaders from those parishes together, just to try to get private sector consensus on why? that solution set. Uh, why? It's a great question. I, I think that it has not been a higher enough priority, and I think a lot of us have looked to the public agencies and institutions that are expected to do this to take that leadership role. Right. And so what we've said to ourselves is, well, let's first hold ourselves accountable to trying to get to a private sector consensus and, and then championing those things to our elected officials. This, this has happened in the past. Back in 2007, the state had surplus dollars coming uh, because of Hurricane Katrina right. and a lot of state sure. surpluses that That's were right. happening. And so we knew there was going to be a planned expenditure on major infra- infrastructure investments right. with those one-time dollars. And yet the Baton Rouge area had, didn't have then a consensus on what it needed. So back no. in 2007, BRAC organized with the regional delegation of legislators. We hired an engineering firm, and we asked them to look at multi-parish projects that could be invested in with one-time money. And we said, let's get a list of what those projects are, do a cost-benefit analysis, and then ask legislators to go to the governor at the time and and ask that those priorities be the ones that get moved to the top of the list for that one-time money. The widening that happened on I-10, the widening that happened on I-12, and the Piku Lane interchange scored the best in that project. And so the expansions that happened on 10 and 12 largely came as a result of the legislative delegation pushing to prioritize those because the data helped everybody see mm-hmm. what was the best use of dollars for congestion relief. And so that was great, right? We've seen those investments made, opened up. I-12 has been a very significant improvement in, in traffic Absolutely. Um, and yet that same process is not something that has been followed in the no, long run. That not we have at all. a cost-benefit methodology for how to do this. The New Orleans delegation is so galvanized, even when they don't like one another, they tend to seem at least to work together. And lawmakers here, I'm not going to say they dislike each other. We, we don't see our lawmakers, at least on the legislative level, yeah. being catty publicly. But we don't see, even North Louisiana, we don't seem to see the same tenacity to get 
a focus of spending on infrastructure here. I'm not talking about handouts. We're talking about roads and bridges and, you know, things that we need here. The fact that we still talk about I-10 yeah. at the I-10 bridge, that that going east on 10 and how laughable that situation is all these years later, it just makes you wonder, well, why don't we do something about yeah. it? Let me, let me, let me say a, a, a compliment, though. The, the delegation this year, the legislative delegation from the Capital Region has been doing a really good job of communicating with one voice to the administration as priorities. Okay. And they, they have been, for, for now about a decade, meeting actively as, as a Capital Good. Region legislative delegation. There is very little consensus, um, but on, on projects, on infrastructure projects, that seems to be the one place where they, they seem to work best toward sure. consensus. Sure. But, again, given the level of urgency, and they, they came in and advocated this year for the crisis list, what we yeah. call the crisis list. And so let me let me back up and say what I'm talking about. We, we used this effort of the business community to start a coalition called mm-hmm. the, the Crisis Coalition. And it, I mean, it's, it's an acronym we invented just to be able to say crisis a lot on the radio, <laughs> right? And on TV. But it is truly a transportation crisis. And so the, the coalition, when you hear that phrase, crisis is business leaders that have come together in five parishes to set up a, a plan for what would lead to transportation solutions, okay. to align alongside elected officials, uh, the Metropolitan Planning Organization, which is a public agency that, that plans for transportation needs for the capital region. Uh, and we've been advocating for the things that would do the most for traffic congestion relief. If you go uh, to trafficcrisis.org, I believe is the website, uh, you can actually see the project list and the research that they came out with in February. They, we did the same process we did back in 2008 to use a cost-benefit analysis to look at about 22 different possible projects, right? We always talk about being studied to death. Right. Those studies give you a lot of data to compare uh, projects to each other. That's what we did, and that came out with, with the leadership of the, the Metropolitan Planning Organization, came out with four major areas that have to be priorities. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's what we've been pushing. Now we have a clear list of the ones that would do the most benefit if we could get those four built. Now... The tough question is, where do you find the resources to invest? Absolutely. Somewhere between a billion and a half and $2 billion, where are you going to find those dollars that are necessary? And that's what, again, we go back to our business uh, delegation uh, on the Crisis Coalition and ask them that question, have them try to work through what they could be for. Uh, you mentioned, <clears throat> talking about, as we were getting to the delegation discussion, about transit here. What's your opinion of the Capital Area Transit System? What do you think is most feasible to, A, get it to gain the confidence of the public, whether people use it or not? How can we reposition it as a necessity if we're going to grow for the region? I mean, what would you do? Because I know that the, the transportation issue has been watched by a number of agencies for some time now, particularly since that tax passed, I guess, what, four or five years ago? Like 12, I think. Uh, right? So, yeah, they campaigned in 12, and I think it went up. I campaigned in 11, 11 and, 12, and it went up yeah. in 12. Yeah. So what about cats? It's a, it's, it's a, it's a tough problem. I mean, mm-hmm. I think the— Why is it a problem? Well, let me, let me, let me outline. I think the, the, the leadership change, look, they passed the tax. They had a roadmap that was the kind of underpinning of the election, right? Yep. There was a set of things that were described as necessary to accomplish. Uh, the leadership who were in place at the time when the tax passed quickly, and the board, if y'all remember, quickly lost public confidence. Yeah. They, they had to make a CEO change. They put out a search process for a CEO really had very little response mm-hmm. from from folks from national transit right. agencies. They ended up hiring a non-transit person to yeah. come in from the private sector and run it. Uh, did a fairly good job of trying to professionalize, and they, they outsourced executive management to right. a third party, which we had all been pushing to bring in a third-party firm that knew how to run a transit agency, have that be the outsourced management. And they did that for a few years. And that seemed to – and it, they also, let me add, coupled with that – brought on some new board members who helped right. to kind of add some just stability, some stability. People to like board. Jim Brandt, who is widely respected uh, the, across the, the region. Uh, the ben Miller from King ben Miller, Miller that's who has right. passed away, right. was yeah. on there yeah. with Jim. And, the, and then a lot of other, Ken, Ken Perrette, a number yeah. of folks that got on and, 
and tried to institute some some just some good management, mm -hmm. good governance practices at the board. I think largely they have been able to get the board more organized, more stable, and out of the normal, news. out of the news, really. Mm -hmm. um, and that allows the management team to try to make some institutionalized changes sure. to governance and, and execution of that agency. Unfortunately, we still see some very serious and troubling problems with the, the agency that they don't seem to have delivered on many of the things that were called for by the election. They put in place a, a very significant new route structure, mm -hmm. then moved away from a centralized um, kind of hub-and-spoke model to right. what most cities have, which is a de decentralized uh, model of, uh, of exchanges between different points around the city. That happened. They've not been able to push toward the kind of the bringing down the head times, uh, kind of the wait times for buses, which was a huge issue, yeah. is the predictability of the bus for riders, as well as the time spent on a bus when you're riding from point to point. That has come down since the election, but is still nowhere near it, where it needs to be. And I think from an outside standpoint, it's hard to get any good data, independent sort of third-party data about what is true and what is not true about their performance. And I think there had been some report card, scorecard work that was being done immediately after the election. Largely, that's fallen off. So where are we today? I think they are uh, going to have to reintroduce public confidence in how they select a CEO to right. run that agency. Right now, they're being run by an interim CEO, uh, and whomever they pick, that is going to signal whether they seriously understand how negative their their perception is in the public as well as their their need to have stable leadership very strong national level quality of leadership of a trades and agency and think about this there's five years to execute before the election to show the public that they they get it and they know because it'll to be lead. tough to get this tax to be and, and i don't see how if they don't in the next two to three years make some serious strides in, in execution as an agency how they how they have any ability to renew transit funding. And that's that's going to hurt traffic and no transportation question. problems for Baton Rouge if they can't figure that out. Why do you think the attitude against the agency is so negative? I, I get the portion of this that deals with the tax and the position that the agency was in when the mayor decided he wasn't going to give this this subsidizing amount of cash to the agency that that kind of precipitated us ended up ending up in a position where the tax even became a reality but the i mean there is there is deep disdain for the agency the buses on the road and i'll be honest with you i don't know where that comes from because I've never had to use the bus system yeah. because, you know, I've traveled, but generally speaking, I'm in the rental. And of course, living here in Louisiana, where I am, I have transportation of my own. But when you hear people talk about cats, I mean, it's a visceral yeah. thing with them. Why do you think that is? That's a, that's a tough, tough thing to guess. And I don't, I don't know that. You don't, Do you think it's racial? I don't. I, don't, I think it, I think it is, you know, I think probably it's as much as anything from our standpoint, Weak execution for a very long time. Yeah. I mean, I, I would uh, use the analogy of the public school system. Just it has such a long-term negative yeah. perception to yeah. battle yeah. that you would have to be running at a perfect level of execution for, for a, a long very time, long time yeah. Yeah. to undo generational yeah. dissatisfaction. Yeah. Right. And I think the same holds true for cats. Is they have to get execution right and stay there yeah. for a very long time, and and then couple that with a very strong public relations effort so that the public has a sense of, all right, now I have the opportunity to rethink what I have thought of this institution, this I, agency. Well, I encouraged long-term messaging to the public for them and transparency. I mean, not just being transparent, but overly transparent yeah. because you're trying to overcome an almost blind spot perception, even though people can't see you, they don't know what's going on. The expectation is it's negative right. when it comes up and it takes a while to change that. Uh, moving from cats, talking yeah. about transportation, I'll ask us to put a button on it and I want to get to public education, which has been another effort that you guys have been involved in. And there may be some reality shift with the new superintendent. On transportation, if you look forward five years, what do you think needs to happen 
for us to be that player that Brack and lots of people here would like to see us become? Yeah, well, first and foremost, we need to find significant dollars to build mega projects. Okay. So if, if the listener of this podcast wants to hold a significant word in their mind, think that word, mega projects. Uh, if we cannot build a new bridge, uh, we, we absolutely need an additional absolutely. river crossing across the Mississippi River. Absolutely. Uh, the recommendation in the crisis project list is a, a new southern bridge mm-hmm. below what's, you know, the new, the new bridge, right? The right. I-10 bridge. Below the 50-year-old uh, the, new, the new bridge. new bridge. Uh, that they're new squared. Uh, there needs to be a new southern river crossing right. somewhere. And that project is probably uh, not, you know, that sort of, you know, first among equals of the four projects, but it is absolutely a necessity and it's the, probably the biggest cost. The expectation is it has to be a tolled bridge. Yeah. Uh, we have to leverage private dollars as much as possible in that project, yeah. but it will still have a huge public investment cost to build something. Tolls will not build that bridge. Right. Second is we need to find a resource of dollars. One of the, it's one of the other crisis four projects to do the widening of the I-10 uh, between the, the, uh, I-10 bridge and the split. No that question. widening one lane in each direction is $350 million. That plus a new bridge to the south is fundamentally necessary to the long-term needs of our community. And Baton Rouge becomes an even bigger rock star. It is. Not only does that happen, West Baton Rouge becomes a rock star. Yeah, it really does. Because of the cost of real estate there, the space right. that they have available, so many realities change and you can substitute the word realities with the word fortunes right. and you'd still be right, right if you do that, which to me as a business person, I'm thinking, why is that a tough decision? So the, the, the tough decision is the price tag. Yeah. You have to find somewhere in the neighborhood of a billion and a half dollars yeah. to accomplish both of those projects at least. But the return on investment is so much greater than that. It is. Right? So it is. So here's the question is how, how important is it for us to, as a community to accomplish that enormously, right? Yeah. It has yeah. huge economic implications, yeah. quality of life implications. So how do you do that is your question. And that's where we started it. Our realization is, and we've spent a lot of time looking at this, and no one is going to want to hear this, but the dollars that are available to build projects from the federal government and the state government have been dwindling for years. Mm -hmm. And we can be angry about the fact that the Transportation Trust Fund is as small as it is and has as little dollars as it is to spend on transportation projects. But the fact of the matter is, and we've spent a lot of time looking at it, it is there and there's not much you can do to reform it other than what's being done this calendar year. And... The governor has actually changed the state budget and has taken uh, and put $60 million more available by taking the state police funding out of the Transportation Trust Fund, which it shouldn't be in there in the first place. Right. That's really the only major source of dollars in the Transportation Trust Fund not being spent on the delivery of transportation projects in one way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. That being done, there's not much else you can do to free up dollars to build mega projects, and $60 million is nowhere near enough money to get that no. much money that needs to be deployed around the state as, and in the capital region. Our realization is some new major source of funding has got to be uh, brought to bear to put toward uh, the Transportation Trans- Trust Fund and toward mega projects. And so I'm going to say that word is going to be the, the word du jour. We're going to say it over and over and over <laughs> and over again right. to the legislature and to the governor is we've got to find a funding source for mega projects. Public schools in East Baton Rouge Parish specifically, when you think about what's happening around us, Ascension, pretty good. Livingston, pretty good. West Feliciana, pretty good. West Baton Rouge, not terrible. Getting close to pretty good. East Feliciana, not so great. High poverty, doesn't perform as well. Not a whole lot of money for Zachary, great. Zachary, great. Central. So all around... We say East Baton Rouge, but it's really Baton Rouge because Baker, Zachary, and Central have their own school systems. And now enter Warren Drake, okay? An education veteran, no-nonsense guy who is deeply invested in the progress, not just the PR progress, but the legitimate on-paper progress of the system. We both like the guy. Uh, We both, you know, saw this reality changing. First, I'd like your grade for him through, uh, he's had now an official school year, a calendar school year from August to 
May, what your grade for him and what's your perception of the school system today? I think we'd give him and I think he'd give himself a B for where he is today. Right. I think we would say and he would say, uh, not to put words in his mouth, but you could always be doing better. No question. Uh, a lot has come a long way. Uh, and I'll, I'll highlight two or three things that I think are worth, okay. worth pointing out. Uh, one is um, we, we had this conversation a moment ago about cats. Not yeah. being in the news with negatives is a positive. And I want to start by saying the board has been acting much much more uh Call it competently, actively. I think you've seen a, a new level of civility and focus on, on execution. That's an understatement. Thank you. So the, I think that's to the credit of the board that they have also kind of stepped it up, that they're, they're focused on uh, the greater good and, and not a lot, a lot on the sort of the, the private squabbling that had yeah. kind of pulled the board back and, and passed boards. Um, and so that's great. You see a, a new direction in the last two years since the new board came on. Uh, the major action was a year ago, right? We're in uh, June as we're recording this. Um, the, the new superintendent arrived last June mm-hmm. 1. Uh, he's been here a year. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, I think he is still on his honeymoon. He is. And I think it's hard to imagine in the last cycle of superintendents we've had, a superintendent being in their honeymoon phase for 12 months. I mean, that usually it was a month and then yeah. you were under yeah. attack. Well, he did have the advantage of we knew he was going to be the guy four and a half months before, before he was officially able to start the job. He's someone that it was surprising to me how easily he was accepted by the community being that he wasn't from someplace else. And he was confirmed unanimously That's right. by by the, the school board, which if you and I were sitting and having a conversation and we're counting votes, even though you may get to a majority, I don't think either one of us would have said it would have been unanimous. And, and, and as you well know, it is it is one of the hardest jobs in Louisiana. No question. Uh, to be a superintendent. And I, I'm not trying to be a defender in any way unfairly or, or, or over overly hyping it. I think it's really... I agree with it's, you. It's a tough job. Yeah. And the fact that you're here 12 months later and he still has been able to do do what he's done to stay in that honeymoon largely scandal free and i think that's because he and his executive leadership and his board have been very conscientious about trying to uh maintain civility maintain a focus on on accomplishing progress Mm -hmm. um and and that is the kind of thing that's necessary to really move things forward for east baton rouge schools and so to his credit a lot of things moving in the right direction i want to also compliment them um uh, I think the the focus on uh, three or four things that we've seen. He has been really aggressive on trying to find new school options that can get opened. Right. Uh, the focus on getting a strategy around Astruma has been uh, an important priority that he's brought. Shows sure. shows a demonstration, but also prioritization for North Baton Rouge education options. Getting a high school reopened uh, in North Baton Rouge uh, for East Baton Rouge schools. Uh, two is, and it's coming out here shortly, uh, the board approved the request for proposals to build a new workforce and technical high school at the Ardendale campus. Yeah. Um, and that is a, the public will not uh, know this yet, but that the potential for what that can be is going to be a national best practice. It is uh, going out for proposal for construction, and the timeline has been sort of focused on 2017 to get that open. Sure. And what that would offer is technical and workforce education at a high school that's focused on career options uh, for, for students who may not be headed to a four-year school, may be headed to a four-year university, right. but may want to go two-year, may want to go straight into the workforce. And learn a skill set and learn that a will skill get set. them gainful employment. And some of those... Uh, you know, industries from engineer, uh, from uh, uh, mechanic to plumbing to things of that nature to, to software to, to software careers, can yeah. earn these kids you know sixty, seventy, eighty, right. ninety thousand dollars depending on their their own proficiency. That is going to be a legacy project for this this school sure. and this school system and this superintendent, uh, and it's really a, an incredible project to to see underway. And I would say that that's the direction we've been excited about is a focus on. Um, kind of getting the existing network of schools, kind of continuing the push to try to get those principles to, to execute at a higher level, yeah. while also focusing on getting new school options to be offered. And I think from from Brack's standpoint, looking at EBR, that's important. Let me let me say we we hope that that is 
now going to translate into a push for new other options that also get in the conversation. Like? Like Southeast Baton Rouge, which has huge areas that are underserved or unserved mm-hmm. by public options. Right. And that is a huge gap in the delivery of education. That's where the St. George stuff started. And that's where the St. George stuff started. So I think there's a sense that uh, the district has a huge responsibility to respond and looking for ways to get new school offerings, uh, as it has been doing in, in the north, like Estruma, uh, to do so kind of in its central and in the south. And, and then broader than that, recognizing that where it cannot perhaps deliver some school options, it also should look to charters uh, as a source for new schools. And so we were also really pleased that East Baton Rouge schools just reversed course and tradition and authorized two very high-performing charter schools to come in and start a path to opening schools in East Baton Rouge. Idea Schools and uh, Inspire NOLA were all, both authorized at a vote of the uh, a special vote of the school board uh, about a month ago. And if that comes, we fully expect it will, if that comes to fruition, uh, that will be a new direction for East Baton Rouge. Sure. And, and something that could send a signal that not only does it want to focus on its traditional school options, it also is very open that uh, other operators may have some really good offerings and unique offerings that they can bring into East Baton Rouge. And well. there's been such a resistance to charter schools in general. And people talk about, you know, public schools versus charter schools. Well, charter schools are public schools. They're sure. non-traditional public sure. schools, but public dollars fund and, charters. And, and free open enrollment schools. No question. Yeah. I, you know, I don't I have always said as long as the vetting process that is in, employed by the school board or the state makes certain that we do our best to weed out people who just want the money and who are not interested in educating these children. As long as that that part of the process is great, I say you have to be able to evolve and give people an opportunity to give these kids, these kids a shot at a future. I wanted to say this. I really root for the EBR school system because it's important that that system succeeds and they should have the right leadership and the adequate amount of funding to make certain that it wins because many children who attend public schools are going to need that school to give them the tools to be able to win. Mm -hmm. And you can't out of one side of your mouth talk down all of the money we spend on entitlements, but then not be willing to support something that lessens the need for people to not have, you know, entitlements because they don't have jobs. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, look, the, the this district is not, and this this superintendent is not without challenges, right? So there, there are is lots a, of them. A budget that has just been adopted for the coming school year that still has this school system, and it's terrible. It is they are deficit spending. We called for uh, a, a very serious and deep look at budget practices and expenditures. Uh, both during the election two years ago yeah. and when this new superintendent was coming on board last yeah. year. And they have not done that. Adam, it's a half billion dollar a year a operating dollar, budget. And, and they, they shouldn't be, they shouldn't have deficit spending. Th- this is, this is the, the very serious challenge that I think we as a business community and the public needs to be pushing for is a very deep look over the next six months at where their expenditures are going. The next budget this budget shouldn't have been adopted with this big a hole. Yeah. The next budget absolutely cannot. And and think about this. They have not only to turn that around so that they're not deficit spending, they need to turn that around if they have any possible hope of introducing other things like what I think is everybody would love to see is they are able to find resources to not only open additional schools uh, where they need to be opened uh, and potentially closing schools that are not performing where they should be closed uh, in order to possibly to do that. But also things like universal pre-K that I think is wildly popular across yep. uh, socioeconomic groups sure. and racial lines. Sure. It would do an incredible thing for our community to Gets see. Gets kids ready. You cannot do that unless you can financially restructure this district. Well, it's, 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 that's such a long discussion. And at some point, uh, I, I expect Warren is going to sit in that chair and we'll get a chance to talk about it. The, the recent name issue with Lehigh, it was so interesting because... While there was an aspect of this by people who talked about it as just racial, if you watch the reaction, there were people who were both black and white who did not want the name of the school to change. And I actually heard from some and it was such a a delicate issue to handle. And it looks as though they found a compromise that's going to allow them to go forward. 
without this huge powder keg happening in Baton Rouge. Very intrigued at the way they were able to get to that outcome. Yeah, you know, when you can find a solution that nobody's happy about, that's, that's when you win. The, the definition of a compromise is no one's happy, <laughs> no right? No one's happy. That's right. That's right. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on, on what side you have on that. And that thing is, you're right, a very delicate issue. And there are some very strongly held opinions in both directions by very rational, normal, yeah. smart folks, right? It's not just kind of the extremes that, that sometimes just stir things up just to. Uh, and are never satisfied, but it, it, it was a very tough issue. And I, I, to the credit of the board um, and, and the superintendent, I think they they were very smart about having a lot of public opportunity for input. Yeah, very very deliberate, but also you know having a defen- defined timeline to to resolve the issue and move forward. And um, we we really were not involved in that discussion, but I no. think uh, it was well handled overall about how they they gave the input uh, the public a lot of opportunity for input. North Baton Rouge and a hospital in North Baton Rouge. We've chatted about that a little bit. I don't think the funding exists for a hospital to be built in North Baton Rouge, and the discussion is uh, is about an ER or standalone ER, which I believe. Uh, shouldn't be a matter of race or politics. I think it should be a common sense thing. We ended up in this position because the general was losing about $2 million a month, Baton Rouge General at Florida uh, in Mid-City. And I think an ER there should be a necessity because you've got the the huge piece of real estate between Earl uh, uh, Our Lady of the Lake and uh, Lane Memorial and Zachary, the lake in Baton Rouge, Lane in, in Zachary, it's so complicated because so many people are talking on the issue and I would love a solution because I think there should be an ER there as a citizen. I, for me, it's just a common sense thing. You run the chamber. How do we get to a place where we can solve this with a little less emotion and more intellect on fixing it and making something happen? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad the question was not what should we do because we're not a, we're not a by any stretch of the imagination a healthcare policy organization and I would have to defer to to those that are. Um, And I I think that your question is really one of um, process, right? So I think um, it is tough to find civility in the dialogue about the issue. And and to find civility uh, in that dialogue would be to to be able to have everybody at the table that has a kind of a stake in this conversation to, to listen to one another, sure. um, to, to, to take it out of the political rhetoric, right? Mm-hmm. So we're in a Metro Council election season <laughs> and a mayoral race. election season. And, and the presidential. And the presidential <laughs> election season. And all of that creates, as, as we kind of call it, the, the silly season, yeah. uh, creates a... A, a jockeying and a posturing mm-hmm. perhaps that, that can, can change the tenor of the conversation. And so we, we have been, although out on the outside of this, kind of hoping for a kind of a civility in the dialogue that would bring parties together. And some, some have been pushing for that. Um, hopefully that will, will happen sooner rather than later. I do, because I think it's a shame. I'd love an exchange of ideas that would reap a solution because I think it's, it's, it's just, the smart thing to do to have that there. And I think regardless of what people look like, where they come from, what their political spectrum is, I just think if, if this whole thing had started with real ideas and a way to create a solution because of the funding position the state is in and the city is in because of the lack of infrastructure there for it, we might be closer to a solution And just like on other issues, when names start flying across a line, people retreat to their sides and nothing gets done. And I really hope something gets done because I'd hate a tragedy to happen. Some kid dies, some some elderly person dies, someone dies in a car accident because that extra 10 minutes uh, getting them to one of those 90 seconds, that (laughs) extra whatever cost a life. And I just don't think we should have that. We we shouldn't want that as a city. The I think that. The questions that would unify this conversation, or if we could have this conversation, you want to ask are, can we all acknowledge that there is a health access inequity? Yeah. One, right? Yeah. Two is, if there is a health access inequity that we can all acknowledge, two is, what in the current model of health care funding mm-hmm. in America can be done about it? Right. And t- three is, gonna if, if we can do something about it, what provides the highest quality of care for residents 
at the most feasible financial Absolutely. model. Right? That, that's that, it. If you could have that dialogue and, and it kind of go through, maybe there's more questions, but those were just off the top of our mm-hmm. heads that sure. we've, we've contemplated. Those would be ones that we could come to and try to address each of those questions. I want to train, you know, we could we could spend another two hours talking about so many subjects. And uh, this just means we've got to get you back in a a few weeks to do a part two. But I didn't want to end this without this portion of the conversation. The necessity of a chamber and what chambers do and, and in businesses trying to grow and evolve and learn. Uh, I'm a member of three chambers. Okay, Uh, one in Bossier, one in Natchitoches. And when I'm in an area trying to do business, I rely on the chamber to give me some guidance on the people, their practices, their habits, um, what parts of the town are about what, what are the areas of information to go and learn so you can make smart investment. Louisiana is so clickish and I don't even I mean that in a in a loving way it's just the way it works here you get used to it after having you know we we're both native louisianans so when you look at your responsibility not just to your board of directors and people like me who are members of BRAC but to the region as a whole how describe that the you know I, we back up to the conversation of um the role of the chamber by thinking about what we what we are called to do as an organization. Mm-hmm. Our mission is to lead economic development in the nine parish area. What we've seen is at a at the level of regional economic development and regional chambers of commerce that our peers around the country are some of the best organizations at leading change for their communities on behalf of the business community, but also on behalf of the whole community mm-hmm. at the same time. And that's where uh, you see this in some of the, the great models that are out there that do this exceptionally well. I would say uh, uh, Nashville does some incredible work uh, as a regional leadership organization in their in their chamber. Uh, Omaha does some incredible work. Raleigh has some uh, great things happening. Uh, Mobile does some great work in this. Um, and I think when we look around those organizations, we see those organizations have for many, many, many years – played a vital role of leading uh, change of toward the improvement of their region and the economic competitiveness of their region. In what that, way? Describe how so that happens. Me, so what you'll see in those communities is that businesses come together under the auspices of that organization as an association uh, to take on very tough issues that are fundamental to the future of each community that okay. they operate in. And so when you participate in a chamber of commerce, the, probably the biggest thing that that does is give each individual business owner a window into what is happening in that community. Right. Two is a way to engage in the transformation of that community that is both personally important to that company and in the in the broader scheme of what's happening in that region. And then three is a way to uh, to sort of support the efforts that are necessary to lead that change, even if you cannot personally be involved in every single part of it. And so Part of this is a way to leverage your association participation in something like a chamber of commerce to be a part of something much bigger. If you think sure. about this. If if all we did was have 50 or 100 companies participating to do this rather than 1,500 companies, uh, we would not be as strong an organization. We would not be able to do the amount of things we're able to do as an organization mm-hmm. and to be a leader of change for the good of, of the business community but also of the economy. And that's, that's what we do here. And that's what you see in the great chambers of commerce and economic development organizations around America. They, that's what they do. They are able to pull together their business communities to find a consensus and lead on big, tough things for the future of their regions and communities. Two final questions. I'll put them together. The biggest disappointment so far, when you look at what you were trying to accomplish with the chamber, what didn't happen or what you don't know that you can make happen. And on the positive, the one thing that gives you the most hope about where we're headed. Whew, my my list of personal disappointments are many. I think <laughs> I, I, I have many on a daily basis that I, that I would call out that I that I fail to accomplish that I would love to accomplish. I left the bourbon in the other room, so <laughs> we'll do that let's, next let's, time. Let's keep drinking and doing this more. Um, two, two that I'll highlight. One is um, the St. George effort 
um, is one that has been a very difficult one for this community. At the end of the day, our aspirational hope was that it led, it would lead to educational change, aggressive public educational change, and that's what we think was the common ground that both the advocates at St. George and the business community and probably the whole community really mm-hmm. want to see. It comes up in surveys of the community that everybody you know, of, of political stripe, race, or gender all all see that as a high, high priority. Um, and unfortunately, we have not been able to see the level of aggressive change that have come about. We pushed legislation, uh, became unpopular um, uh, as it moved through the process. We would have loved to seen a way that the community could have come together, even if it wasn't through our effort, to find some center that could have happened at a much faster pace. Good, right. good news is, as we talked about earlier, there are things happening and there's positive change that's coming. Um, we would just love to see that pace still much, much faster than mm-hmm. it has been. I think that's a genuine uh, frustration that a lot of folks have felt. A second one, just, just kind of off the top of my head, early on, we were pushing for the train between Baton Rouge and New Orleans to be funded yeah. out of uh, federal stimulus dollars. And um, call it a failing of ours or others or the administration at the time, that, that could have been funded with 100% federal dollars at the time. And the state ultimately didn't go forward with its application for those yeah. dollars. We learned after the fact we would very, very likely have gotten that funding had wow. we applied for it. And so you sit here thinking we could have had five, six years ago an operational train between Baton Rouge and New Orleans. And all wow. we would have had to do is figure out how to pay for the operational cost, which was a manageable thing to have sorted out. Yeah. If we could have just gotten the capital cost funded by the feds at 100%. Huge, huge huge missed yeah. opportunity. Yeah. Um, we still think it's a feasible project to find the resources to do. Luckily, we have an administration that's very uh, aggressively trying to figure out how to get that project done, and we, we herald them for that. Just you hate, you hate that that couldn't have gotten done when it had an opportunity to get done. And you, sure. you think of examples like that. The window of time sometimes when, when you have that opportunity is short. Yep. Um, and so you, when, you, when you have other windows of time that open up for other things, you never want to miss a beat to act very quickly when you see something that can come about. And so those are just, just two examples of, and there could be many, many, many more that mm-hmm. I wish we had gotten done and haven't gotten done or I haven't been able to do, do as well as I could have. Um, things that I'm ex- very excited about. I'm very excited that we actually finally see a positive development on education. I think both the, the charter landscape and the traditional EBR landscape and our many public districts around the nine parish area, Zachary keeps making great progress, Ascension, uh, Livingston, West Feliciana, Central, some really great progress in, in West Baton Rouge and other places. I think the, the trajectory of public education is moving in the right direction um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm really pretty optimistic of that, that the many fronts of what that is uh, moving forward in the right, right direction. Well, listen, we didn't talk about the mayor's race and some of the election stuff. I want to wait on that because <laughs> I want to wait on that because uh, there's so much time between now and then. And I know you try to stay apolitical as an organization, but I do think it's worth discussing the type of mindset the next mayor should have that'd be great and that's kind of where i want to go the kind of things that you would like to see the next mayor president focus on and his leg his or her legislative body think about and just kind of talk about that and I, you know at some point i'd love for us to get into a place where quarterly we can talk about where we are to update the public because this gives them a chance to hear you talk about it in long form without having to read you know, a two, three page yeah. article in the advocate or the business report. Not that anything's wrong with that for <laughs> my right. friends who, over who there. Wants to read? Yes. <laughs> well, pick up something. On paper. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's reading is still where it's fundamental. I forget where I saw that. So man, I appreciate it. How can people learn more about the chamber? Please, and if there's a business a owner interested Great. in joining, what do they do? Go to our website, www.brac.org. Really encourage folks to uh, communicate with us, get in, involved with us. Uh, not, if you're not an investor, you, we, uh, we hope you will. Uh, you can read about our five-year plan, the Think Bigger campaign. If you want to know everything that is how our organization is moving forward and the work that we're doing, it is all laid out in the Think Bigger prospectus is the document you can download and read. 
again, you'd have to read, uh, but would encourage folks to go to our website and find out more about what we're doing. Adam Knapp, Chief Executive Officer of the Baton Rouge Area Chamber. Thanks, Adam. Thank you, Clay. Podcasts have become a great way to get radio on demand. If you've wanted your own podcast, the time to call us is now. This year, Podcast 225 will be launching new shows and yours can be one of them. You won't have to build your own website and you'll be able to use professional broadcast equipment that will make your show sound amazing. If you'd like to know more, call 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Be a part of the on-demand audio movement today. This is The Clay Young Show on Podcast225.com. Good conversation with Adam Knapp, the head of BRAC, the Baton Rouge Area Chamber. And we'll get him back in the coming weeks to talk a little bit more about what's happening with the business community. And we'll talk about this fall's elections with him because, as you heard in the show, Baton Rouge will be electing new members to the Metro Council. Maybe a few will be re-elected, but there's no doubt about one thing. The city will have a new mayor president at the end of this year, and we will talk about what that needs to look like in the way of an agenda by the next mayor of Baton Rouge and president of East Baton Rouge Parish. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, you know, I'm going to be talking again with Colonel David Cuvion, who is the retired Marine colonel who was featured on our Memorial Day show. Uh, We're actually going to sit down later today, as I'm talking to you now, for our 4th of July edition of the Clay Young Show that will air a week from this coming Monday. So I'm looking very much forward to that. And I think you will enjoy the conversation because we've already chatted a little bit about where we're going to go in that discussion. And we won't leave out what happened in Orlando recently and how the country is addressing terrorism here. I said this in the beginning of the show, and I want to reiterate, if there's a guest that you'd like me to pursue, let me know. You can email me, clay uh, at at podcast225.com. One more time, clay at podcast225.com. You can also talk with me on Twitter. You can reach out to me on Facebook as well, on Twitter at clayyoungbr, and on Facebook, just search Clay Young. It is that easy. Thanks again for listening. We appreciate Adam being our guest this week, and we will catch you next time here on podcast225.com. Take it easy, y'all. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.